Hello, everyone, and welcome to our online campus. I'm Doug Hughes, and one of the pastors here at Crossroads, along with my wife, Maureen. If you haven't already done so, why don't you click the login button located on the right side of your screen? And notice that right below the viewing area is our wall. This is where you can share your thoughts during the worship service with everyone participating. But keep in mind, everything you type can be seen by everybody in the service. And now please join me for a word of prayer as we begin our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to join people literally around the world to worship you. God, may you be a part of everything that we say, everything that we sing together, and everything we do, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's join Pastor Tim Roberts as he leads us in this time of worship.
The Bible says this, that uh, every good and perfect gift comes from God our Father, the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. And so when you and I give at moments like this, it actually makes us a little bit more like God. Would you join me in prayer as we dedicate our tithes and offerings? And Heavenly Father, thank you, because uh, you really do give us everything we need for this life. And God, we're grateful. And God, we ask that as we give unto you now, we pray that spiritual things would occur. We pray that many people would come to faith in Jesus Christ because we give. For we dedicate these offerings to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'd like to participate right now, would you click on the donate button, which is located on the upper right-hand corner of your screen? And as you begin to give, I want to prepare you for our message today. Would everybody please open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 5? We're going through a series with Pastor Chuck called The Words Written in Red. These are the most important words ever spoken by the Lord Jesus. They're the keys to the supremely happy life. I'd like to share something with you from my heart right now. All of us have gone through what we consider to be persecution. And many of you out here in the workplace, because you call yourself a Christian, have had to endure people saying things to you that um, are mean-spirited and are simply done because you claim Christ. Well, some of us, myself, Joel, and Dave Robbins that are standing up here, have had a privilege to travel to a place where they define persecution with much more intensity than we do. In fact, in the country of India, we have gone to places where we know it is illegal for people to convert others to Christ. It's an anti-conversion law. In fact, we support evangelists in the country of Nepal who every day go out and commit the crime of leading other people to Christ and eternity. In India, we've had a privilege for the last couple of years to meet a man by the name of Emmanuel. We have prayed with him. We have laid hands on him. And I want you to meet him this morning. He can't be here, and so you're going to hear his testimony from Joel. Now, Emmanuel is not just a friend. He's become that but he's also our brother. 
my friend Emmanuel's testimony word for word. After I received my training from Bible Academy, my wife and I decided to go to an area where people have not heard the name of Jesus. It is the area of Pilani. There is a large Hindu population there. There are also three Hindu extremist groups that are very, very strong. Before we went there, many other evangelists went to that place and were all beaten badly. The extremists even killed four of the evangelists who came to plant churches in the region before us. They had announced already that anyone else who would come there to talk about Jesus would be killed. My wife and I, however, felt very strong that God was calling us to that area to plant a church. We went there and started working and there was no response. Then we learned that the people like songs and music. I had a small musical instrument that I would play and we would both sing. That is how we gathered a small crowd and then we would talk to these people. For the first six months we went and prayed in different homes and sang songs and choruses. That's how we made friends. After seven months, we had a group of about 50 seekers who wanted to learn about Jesus. I had 50 to 60 people who would gather every week for prayer and Bible study. Then after a while, we started a worship service with about 60 people. It was a Sunday, and we started our worship service in a rented hall at 10 a.m. While we were praising and singing songs, there were four different groups that came from four different directions and surrounded our building. They were not small like me, but big men who came and surrounded us. They did not have guns or pistols, but had swords and sticks and iron rods and other things like that. Then four of them came inside the building and started hitting and beating people in the worship service. These were seekers and new believers, and so they got scared, and everyone ran out. They caught me and my wife and started beating both of us very badly. And they took us to an isolated area away from that place, away from any people. They were pulling our hair and torturing us and beating us very badly. And then they said, It is very easy to stop this. We have a legal document here that says, We reject Jesus Christ and accept Hindu religion and become a member of this Hindu extremist group. All you have to do is sign this. If you don't sign, we will cut your hands off. And we said no. And they started beating us again. Then they took me to a nearby tree. They took a big rope and tied me to the tree. And people were coming up to me and they were cursing me and hitting me and doing bad things to me. And then they said, this is your last chance. If you're still willing to deny Christ, 
this is your last chance. Then my wife told them very clearly, no, we will never leave Jesus Christ. I was bleeding from my nose and my mouth and was in very bad shape. Even though we were weak in our bodies, we were strong in our spirit. Then they said, last chance. If you don't sign, we will rape your wife in front of you. And at this time, my wife was pregnant. And right before my eyes, they took off every bit of clothes my wife was wearing. And they started raping her. This was very painful, but we said we would not deny Christ. My wife was screaming, and there were some ladies who were nearby, and they heard her screaming. They came to see what was happening, and when they saw what was happening, they too began to scream, and and then more people started to come to see. The extremists then picked up their weapons and left. And then I lost consciousness, and both of us were taken to the hospital. At the hospital, they said, you need to go to the police department and file a complaint. And I can never forget the words of my wife. She said, we will not go to the police, but we will pray for these people. And one thing is for sure, we will never leave this area. We've been working in that place now for seven years. We have a congregation of 700 people, and my church has planted seven other churches in that area that we minister with as well. Last January, we had a baptism service. And on that day, we baptized 10 people. It's not unusual for us to baptize that many people in one day. Five of the people that I baptized were ones who raped my wife. They are no longer enemies. They are my brothers. Last month, we received news that Emmanuel Namro and four others were killed in a road accident on February 12th. Emmanuel went home to be with the Lord. Father, open our eyes to see the things that would make your heart cry, to be the church that you would desire, a light to be seen. And God, break down our pride all the walls we've built up inside, our earthly crowns and all our desires we lay at your feet.
Wow. When you think about those words, that hope arises and darkness trembles, you can sense it almost happening in the testimony you heard. As we seek the face of God, as we seek to be who he wants us to be, who lives like this? Who loves like this? Hopefully it's you and it's me. And it's done in such a way that people can't miss it and it makes a difference. Jesus, in the most amazing words ever spoken, said this. He said in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want you to think about the whole idea of what Jesus is saying. This is what ought to mark us. It ought to be the characteristics of our life, born out of those amazing beatitudes, that, that eight keys, those eight attitudes that are within us, that we begin to live a life that's very, very different than the world around us. So much so that we're the salt of the earth. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, every offering given to God had to have salt in it. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. God said there's a, a value to salt that's off the charts incredible, and no offering is to be brought to him that doesn't contain this in it. It's interesting that we are to be a living sacrifice to God, a living offering to God. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now think about what Jesus is saying. He said, you and I are the salt of the earth. And then Paul, inspired by God, says, and you and I are living sacrifices. And God says, I never want a sacrifice brought to me, an offering brought to me that doesn't have salt in it, that doesn't have the flavor, that doesn't have the, 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 the preserving agent, that doesn't have the value to it. It's what adds value to our life that we carry out this characteristic. If you thought about what salt is, today we take it for granted that we have it very, very quickly. But in the time this was written, salt was very difficult to get and extremely valuable. So God is saying to us, God is saying to me, God is saying to you, I want your life to have amazing value to it. And I want you to bring a value to every situation you're in. The Greeks taught that salt was literally divine. There was something godly about salt. The Romans said, nothing is more valuable than sun and salt. And the Romans valued salt so much, they paid their soldiers with salt. The whole idea of the word salary comes from a, a Roman word, salarium, uh, which literally means to be salt money. And when we say someone is earning their salary, very often another phrase comes up that someone is either worth or not worth their salt, that, that what the amount they're paid. And God is saying to you, you are incredibly valuable to me. 
And I want you to live a life that's acceptable to me, that brings worship to me. And I want your life to have salt within it because no one's ever to come to God and not bring this value to who you are. We live in a world today that devalues people. There may be some of you right now sitting in that theater or watching this and, and man, you wonder what you're worth. You wonder if your life has meaning. You wonder if you matter. And here's the point you do. And God says, I don't want you to ever lose your value. I don't want you to ever lose who you are. But to be that kind of a person, here's what we need to do. We need to live out the calling in our life. You were created with the purpose. You were created to do God-destined, ordained things. And you and I, when we live that out, there's an amazing value to who we are. And you never will lie in bed at night and wonder, do I matter? You'll never wonder, is there any meaning to my life? Or if I wasn't here today, what difference would it make? And so here's what I want you to grab, is that salt is extremely valuable. The second thing about salt, salt's a preservative. Uh, The Greeks had a saying that said this, salt can put a new soul in a dead thing. A Greek proverb, salt can put a new soul in a dead thing. And God says, I want you to be a preserving agent in the world. And that's why we took Romans 12 and we looked at it. What did God say? I do not want you to be conformed to this world, but I want you to be a transforming agent. I want you to bring life. I want you to bring preservation. I want you to stop the degradation and the demoralizing of a culture. And just by our very value of being in it, we end up doing away with the decay that's happening around us. God says, I want you to enter situations where you bring a morality and you bring purity and you bring vitality. And I want you to bring a life to it because in us beats the very heartbeat of God, the life of God that brings us to life in an amazing way. Again, Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. God talking to Jeremiah And Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19 said this. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will be my spokesman. They for their part may turn to you. But as for you, you must not ever turn to them. God says that we need to enter situations and we never allow ourselves to be conformed to the worldly attitudes desires, and passions that exist there. But what we do is we seek to live a transforming life. A life like salt entering a dish is going to make a difference. And God says when we enter that, we begin to provide a a, a transformation that takes place and we bring life to it. I remember when my grandfather, when he got older, he had to go on a salt-free diet. And all of a sudden, the idea of going out to eat or a family dinner, it it wasn't that he didn't enjoy the people, but it lost the passion and excitement of sitting down together and being able to do that. God says, I don't want you to be bland. I want you to bring vitality and life and transformation into every situation you're in. And you and I must never be conformed to decaying a degraded world. We need to be one that brings transformation to it. And God says, a life that doesn't do that ends up losing value, and ends up being worthless. Salt also is obviously used for seasoning and to give flavor. The idea that we put salt on things makes it come alive and exciting. And it's interesting. There's all sorts of different kinds of salt out there. There's kosher salt. There's garlic salt. Lots of people today are cooking and using sea salt. And every one of them has a little bit of flavor, but they're all for the same purpose, to enhance flavor in it. 
One of the most exciting things to me is to throw garlic salt on chicken and, and then be able to dig in and eat it and enjoy. And, and it is an amazing feast, a, a delicacy to partake of. God's great desire is that you and I bring flavor to everything around us. Our lives, who we are, our presence ought to always add flavor and value and joy to every situation. That's why God wants us to be people of love and peace and joy and kindness. And all those things should emanate from us. And listen to what it says in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And listen to how he says it. Let your speech always be with grace as though it were seasoned with salt, so you will know how to respond to each person. God says, when you and I enter a situation, we ought to make a transforming difference. And we ought to conduct ourselves with wisdom about everybody around us. Think through who's listening, who we're interacting with, and how we can speak in such a way that it brings flavor, it brings joy, it brings vitality, it brings transformation and preservation. That's what God wants us to do when he says, you're the salt of the earth. Woodrow Wilson, when he was the president of the United States told about a time that he went into a barber shop to have his hair cut, and in came a man. As soon as the door opened, everybody lit up. And when he entered the room, everybody started laughing, and everybody started enjoying it. And he thought it was kind of interesting. He said, it humbled me. Here I was, the president of the United States with Secret Service, maybe more power than anybody on earth might know about. And, and the people were glad I was there. But when this man came, he transformed the place. And he said, it's like the light went on. And everybody's attitude erupted. And then he said, when he walked out the door, it was like all of a sudden the air went out of the room. The man he was talking about was D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, uh, uh, who many of us pastors, we read about and study. He was a man that was transforming and made a difference. But there was something about D.L. Moody when he entered a room, it couldn't stay the same. I want you to know the same is true of Jesus. Whether people loved him or hated him, when Jesus entered a room, it never, ever stayed the same. And God says, I want you to live your life that way. I want you to make a difference. In our lives, we have many people who do that for us. But, but, but one in particular I want you to think about today is my grandson, Liam. When, when Liam, all of a sudden, I walk into a room and I see he's there and I see that face light up and he starts calling out and grabbing a hold and hugging or hustling over as fast as he can, it transforms everything. Part of it's because he's such a happy baby. And I want you to, to one time I was holding him and we're in a moment where we're just kind of looking at the dog and we're watching Noah play and all of a sudden Liam just lit the room up. I want you to see what happened. <laughs> Okay, he went on and on and on. Do you know what it's like to hold a boy like that in your arms? Do you know what it's like to have someone like that in your life that laughs like that and has a passion like that and joy like that? Man, life's never the same. And when I get word that I'm going home and Liam's there, man, I get so excited I can't stand it. And then the day comes where I have to hand him over to Jill and he's going to leave. And I got to tell you, there's always just this amazing sadness in my heart in those moments. God says you and I are to be that way. When someone sees you coming, they ought to be lighting up going, oh, they're going to enter my presence. They're going to be here. And that's who we should be. The sad thing is I'm not sure Christians have always caught what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, William Barclay, in his commentary on Matthew, said this. He said, even after Constantine had made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire, 
there came to the throne another emperor called Julian. Julian wished to put the clock back and to bring back the old gods. Now, why would he want that? Why did he want the old gods? Why did he say, I just don't want Christianity in the Roman Empire anymore? Listen to why. His complaint was, have you looked at these Christians closely? They're hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all. They brood their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, and they don't desire it. All they desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. That is so scary to hear. To have anybody say, as I look at believers, as Christians, as people who say they have an intimate relationship with God, the Father, with his son, Jesus Christ. If we're not emanating joy and passion, if we don't walk through the world seeing blessing after blessing and and moment for opportunities to see miracles occur, beaming with expectation, believing that every obstacle is a chance for God to do something incredible. That's who we ought to be. And, and, and Julian, the emperor, said, man, I'm so depressed being around people who are the opposite. And we got to ask why. How did that ever happen? As Julian saw it, he said that Christianity took the vividness out of life, not added flavor to it. God says, Jesus said, you and I are to add flavor to every situation we're in. Oliver Wendell Holmes said this. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted more like undertakers than pastors. Now, think about that. You know, too often, I think that's the picture people have of us. Is they don't understand that the joy we would have, the fun we have, the life we have. And God says, you should not only be so much that way personally that it affects you inwardly, it ought to come outwardly out so that when you enter a place, you're literally bringing the salt, the seasoning, the presence of God. Robert Louis Stevenson said this. He wrote in his diary, recording what he thought was an extraordinary phenomenon. What did Stevenson say? He said, I have been to church today and I'm not depressed. Think about that. Now, I hope that every time you're involved with us, no matter where you're at, that you do not find that happening. I hope you find passion welling up within you. I hope you find excitement there. I hope you find yourself can't wait to go out and live life to the fullest and to have that abundant life that Jesus wants. The last thing we want for any of you is to say, wow, pretty cool. This was one of those days I actually went to church and I didn't walk away just depressed and in despair. That's not the message of hope. That's not the message of Jesus. It's not what God wants for us. William Barclay went on to say this, men need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith. In a worried world, the Christian should be the only man who remains serene. In a depressed world, the Christian should be the only man who remains full of the joy of life. There should be a sure sparkle about the Christian, but too often they dress like mourners going to a funeral. Wherever he is, if he is to be the salt of the earth, the Christian must be the diffuser of joy. Now, that's too true. That's what Jesus is getting at. That when that salt comes out, when we hit a situation, we bring flavor, we bring value, we bring a life to it. And God says that there ought to be so much joy because we have been there, even in the midst of a world that doesn't know joy. Christians should be transforming in that way. There comes a warning, though. Jesus said, if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be salty again? Now, you might even think, is that even possible? Is it possible for the salt to become tasteless? 
And I want to tell you that probably without a doubt, there's some amazing miracles that have occurred that we never want to have occur again. I think one of the miracles I've seen happen, and by the way, I think I participated in it, is when I have opened up this word that according to Hebrews 4.12 is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and make it boring and dull. I mean, that's a miracle that anybody could possibly do that. Because I want to tell you right now, like I've said before, if I pulled out a sword and started hacking at you and trying to hit you or stab you, you might have a lot of feelings going through your mind. You might have a lot of thoughts that are causing you to act and react. But the one thing you're not going to do is go, man, I'm, I'm really bored right now. When's he going to quit hitting me with the sword? I mean, you're not going to do that. Another amazing miracle is if someone really has a relationship with Christ, how could we ever not have saltiness to us? How could we never not have flavor in our life? How could a whole empire look at Christians and say, you add no value to who we are. You rob the vividness of life. And yet we hear people saying that time and again. I've had people complain to me who are not Christians. And they say, man, I got to be honest with you. The Christians in my office make it pure hell. I've had other people say, man, you know what? My aunt's coming and, and she's a Christian. And whenever she enters our house, it's like just the joy leaves. And that's the last thing that should ever be said about a true Christian. And when you think about it, is it possible? Is it really possible for salt to not be tasty? And yet Jesus gives that warning to it. And what happens is we cease then to be change agents and become more conformist. We lose the eternal passion uh, and the passing for the passing pleasure of the moment. We, we end up not showing that there's something to hang on to that has far more value. And in Psalm 4, verses 2 and 3, is a passage that I meditate and pray and say, God, don't let this be true of me. It says, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will it be that we say knowing God and being with God is something horrible and boring and despair-filled and, and, and binding rather than freeing? He says, how long will you not honor me for the one who sets you free and transforms your life and inspires you and, and moves you? And he, then he says this, how long will you love what is earth worthless and aim at deception? Jesus is warning here that if salt loses its taste, it becomes worthless. And the great cry of God is that you and I would not be caught in a worthless life, a life that doesn't make a difference. You and I are to be the, the value that happens in life. Our church needs to be a value within the community for joy, for hope, for restoration, for transformation. And, and God doesn't want us to miss that. And in verse 3 it says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God's great call to us is don't get caught up in things that in the end are worthless and don't matter. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus makes even a, a firmer, a, a more powerful statement about not losing our saltiness when he says this. Verse 34, therefore salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then the Lord says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to ask you a question. And it's a question I ask myself. Does my life matter? Because it's supposed to. Does my life have value? 
Do I bring joy into other people's lives? Do I bring love into other people's lives? Do I bring care into other people's lives? Do I bring the message of God in a way that maybe sometimes causes anger, but in reality, it fuels a passion and a fire? Am I that kind of person? And you need to ask, are you that kind of person? And by the way, the children of Israel moved from being incredibly valuable to a place of worthlessness to God. The the Romans under Julian uh, looked at the Christians and saw them as not having value within the empire. And in 2 Kings 17, we see why this could happen. In verse 15, it says, They rejected God's statutes and his covenant, which he had made with their fathers, and his warnings with which he had warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded, you're not to be like them. God says that for a believer, a person who's in a relationship with him, our life becomes vain. It is filled with vanity and futility when we allow ourselves to be put into the mold of the world. When we live for what the world lives for. When we live for materialism or for the passing pleasures of sexual gratification, not in deep-seated love, this celebratory between a man and his wife. Uh, When we move in to the idea of saying, I've got to take care of number one rather than caring for others around us and finding that it's far more blessed to give than to receive. Not just blessed, it's more blessed when I do that. And I'm giving and loving and caring. When we understand that service means when we understand what the message of hope brought into a situation means, when we speak against injustice, God says, when you do those things, great things occur. But the bottom line is when we get shoved into the world's mold and seek materialism and and seek our own desires, then, then God looks and says, then you've lost your value. You're like salt that has no ability to flavor. And when it's put onto food, no one even knows it's there. When I was in college, some friends of mine And I got together and decided to play a joke. And we got into the cafeteria early and we took the salt shakers and we we filled them with, they already had salt, but we dumped out all but the top part and and we put put sugar in it. And then we screwed it. And and it was so interesting to sit there and watch people grab that salt shaker and put it on their food. And they'd go to eat and they'd go, oh, and you could see on their face like, what happened? And then they would put more on it, not knowing they're continually pouring sugar where they thought they'd have salt. And and it ended up ruining their meals. (laughs) How many of us do that? We don't bring the correct flavor. We don't bring the correct truth. We don't bring the correct life. And we allow ourselves to get put into a mold. And what happens on the other side of it isn't good and isn't healthy. It it reminds me of the the pastor who went to visit one of the women in his church who was a shut-in. She had been a vital member of the church, and he went to meet with her and just talk with her and pray with her and just help her pass the time. And so he's just talking away, and as he's talking, he reaches over to a, her, a bowl that was next to her bed that had peanuts in it, and he would eat a couple and eat a couple more, and man, they were just laughing and talking. And, and then when he finally comes time to leave, he looks and goes, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I ate all your peanuts. Can I refill the bowl? And she goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. He goes, well, if you're out, I'll go buy some more and I'll bring it back. She goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. And he goes, look, I'm really sorry. I ate them all. And she goes, oh, don't let it bother you. All I do is I take the peanuts and I put them in my mouth and suck the salt out of them and put them back in the bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we lack salt, then in the end, we lack value. We lack vitality. It, it, it doesn't give flavor to our life. And then Jesus echoes the next phrase that you're not just salt, you're the light of the world. You and I are the light of the world. Uh, I was talking with a rabbi from Israel, and he told me something interesting. 
because he only had a few gray hairs. Here he was, a grandfather of, I think, 14 grandchildren. And and I said, man, you don't look like you're that old. And he goes, I know, I know. And, And the reason he just got a little agitated, are you ready for this? He could not wait till the day that he was completely gray. Because as long as he wasn't gray, he could not be what he told me was called a luminary. A luminary was one that is recognized as one of the great rabbis because God has blessed them with the grayness that shows their wisdom and shows that there's something else. The idea of the luminary is that they were to be called the lamp of Israel. When you're so close to God, you're so in touch with God, you're so in, in, in interactive intimacy with God. It's like the light of God is to shine on us and come beaming out. You and I know that the moon in and of itself has no light. But what happens is it reflects the sun. And you and I need to reflect the sun. The more we're with him, we should glow with the very presence of God. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? It means the light is evident because the darkness cannot overwhelm it. As a matter of fact, the darker it is, the more pronounced the light comes. And in a world that gets darker and darker, we need to shine out more and more with love, with truth, with purity, with joy, with patience, with kindness, with transformation. And light is evident. Light also reveals. Now that's where we may get some pushback from people in the world because just by the very nature of who we're supposed to be, just the way we live, we should reveal. We should reveal when things are not right, when sin is done, when pain is brought, when people are selfish. And and by living and loving and speaking correctly, we ought to bring revelation. Light also gives courage. I want you to think about that. Light gives courage. You know, you're usually not afraid when you're walking in the light. I can walk in almost any downtown inner city area in the light and not feel any fear at all. But man, if it's dark and you're walking along and you're looking around for what could come out in any moment, I mean, it'll scare you to death. Have you ever gone to an ATM in the daytime? I don't know how you are, man. No problem. Just put it in my card. But I remember one night I'm in an ATM and I walk up and I look and man, I saw someone flash behind me in the dark kind of mood. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and then your heart goes. I uh, one time was, it was late at night. I'm going to say to me about like 11 o'clock and the phone rang and I looked at it and I thought, gosh, it's kind of late to be calling. And I answered it and it was a college student who was a part of our ministry. And man, he is freaking out. And he goes, Chuck, I don't know what to do. He said, you know what happened is we, we, we decided to have this prayer time. And so, you know, we lit a fire and we're sitting there. And then all of a sudden, he goes, something manifested itself. And, 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 and then this demonic presence was there. And he said, man, it, all of a sudden, we just all freaked. We felt like the temperature. And he's describing this demonic manifestation. And he said, what do we do? What do we do? And I said, well, have you prayed and asked God to give you courage and to drive it away? And he goes, yeah, but we, we're, so, we're sitting here. We're scared to death. And then I went, are you sitting in the dark? And he goes, yeah. I go, well, dude, turn on the lights. I think he wanted some huge spiritual answer. He wanted some verse. But I want to be honest. You don't sit in the darkness with demons. Turn on the lights. And you know what happens? In moments like that, we begin to understand there's even a greater, more real light. People who sit in darkness are always in despair. God says, turn on the light of my love. Be a light for other people. Light also is a guide that shows the way to go. You know, when you have a light and you can see where to go and where to step and you're not going to get hurt. And you could be in a room you know very, very well. And if it's totally dark, man, you find your stay up thinking, where is that wall at? You know, or where's that bed? And boom, you hit things. And, and God says, though, when we are to be a guide, 
that we're to be a light that guides the world, that we shine out where the world's to go. That's the calling God's given you and me. The way we love, the way we care, the way a husband acts, the way a father acts, or a wife, or, or a child, the way a student takes on the responsibility of it, the way we go give care to others. We should be a guide about living in that kind of a way, and that's what light does. And by the way, light also gives warning. That's why, you know, you have like a lighthouse, and, 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 and it sits out there warning everybody not to crash into the sore. And there are times that you and I, just by our very nature, ought to be lights that give warning. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous is like a light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That you and I ought to find ourselves glowing and growing in the glow of God's love upon us, shining brighter and brighter and brighter until there's a full day of God revealing himself in a more amazing way. It affects how we live. It affects how we live. Ephesians 5, 6 to 16, big section of scripture, but don't miss the lifestyle light calls us to. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, emptiness, worthlessness, uh, uh, misdirection, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. But rather, instead, expose them. See, light exposes. And it says, for it is disgraceful even to talk of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed to the light. And for everything that becomes visible is light. For this very reason, God says to us, for this very reason, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore... Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time for the, your days are evil. Don't miss what he's saying. He says that you and I ought to live lives where just being shining out for Christ, we expose things that are of the darkness, and we never find ourselves fading into the darkness. And that's why Emmanuel's testimony is so incredible. There aren't a whole lot of darker things that could happen than to have a man who's teaching and preaching and sharing about love and calling people to away from a caste system that demeans to light and love and care, that he shows value to everybody no matter what system they were born into, that he shows value to everybody no matter what they've done, and he calls them into a relationship with God who sent his only son to die on the cross. And, and as he began to live that out, what happened is people became so hateful they beat him and raped his wife in front of him. But he refused to be drugged into the darkness he shined as a light in such a way that he transformed them to the point that they end up becoming Christians. And Mike and Joel were telling me when he won those men to the Lord, he could not have been more excited. The victory had come. Light had overwhelmed darkness. That's what happens. And we need to live that way. We need to be that person. We need to shine like that. And I hope that's who you are. I hope that's what you do. I hope in a world of hate, your love. In a world of darkness, your light. In a world of sadness, your joy. In a world of fear, you bring courage. In a world of worthlessness, man, you bring hope. And you bring value. Partly because you're so valued. And in part because you see the value God places on every single person. Because there's nobody that God does not love and there's no one that Jesus did not die for. And if the blood of Christ was shed for me, then I become priceless. 
And if the blood of Christ is shed for you, which it was, then your life now becomes literally beyond compare. And God's great desire is you would know that. So I want to ask you a question. Are you really the salt of the earth? And are you being the light of the world? And are you making sure you're not conformed and overwhelmed by darkness and tastelessness? But are you ready to live a life that transforms and is valuable? Let's do it. But for some reason right now, that's not who you are. For some reason right now, it's not what you're doing. You're not experiencing God. You don't find Jesus loving and caring in such a way that's so real and so dynamic and so transforming. If you're not finding that happening, that he's doing it in such a way you can't help but to shine out, then I want you to know something. God's great desire is for you to come into a relationship like that. How do you enter it? The Bible tells us we actually talk to God. We pray. We call on the name of the Lord to be saved, the Bible says. That means we pray and say to him, I want the life you have for me. I want to be who you created me to be. I want to experience this. And right now, Right now, wherever you're sitting, our hope is that you're ready, if you've never done this before, to say to God, I want in, and I want to be yours. I want the forgiveness. I want the transformation. I want the freedom. I want your love, and I want the life you have for me, because don't miss this. God created you to have value, and he created you to do amazing things. That's the first step. The first step is to pray and say, God, I want this. The next step is to to actually make an outward profession of it. The Bible calls it a confession. And and Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my fathers in heaven. So what's going to happen in a moment is we're going to go to a time of prayer. And after we're done praying, if you pray that prayer and really mean it. And so I want to ask you right now, if you want to give your life to him, if you want to start having the destiny God created for you starting to be fulfilled, if you want to live in a way that makes a difference, we're going to ask you today to commit your life to Christ. There may be some of you right now who need to recommit. At one time you were shining, and if I ask you this question, are you really living with you a way that you bring joy and love and transformation? You might say, Chuck, no, I'm just getting by. Well, you know what? No longer should you live that way. God created you to be more than a conqueror. Come back to him. Some of you might say, Chuck, I've made a mess of everything. I've wandered too far. You know what? Come back to him. You can't do anything. He wouldn't love you. So we're going to go right now to a time of prayer. And if you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person who's watching this in the theater at Elsinore online. And I pray, God, that you would begin to stir and to touch and to move in their heart and life. And I pray all of us, God, would be people who make a difference because we're living with you and we are different. May we affect people in ways that are amazing. And may we find ourselves being people who bring love and joy and freedom and purity into situations. And Father, right now, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would stir up on anybody right now who needs to either commit or recommit their life to you. I pray that right where they're sitting, they can sense it. This is their moment. This is their time. And nothing's going to be the same anymore. It's going to be so much better. And I pray they're ready to say this to you. Right now, if you want to give your life to Christ or you want to recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Do you want to do it? Do you sense God calling you to this? 
And if so, say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, we are so excited for you, but you already know what I'm going to ask you to do. If you pray that prayer in a minute, when we stand to sing, I want to ask you to make your way to an aisle. If you want, you can bring a friend with you or a family member to support you. But people would love to let you out. If you said yes to God today, step out, come, experience what it means to, to have him touch you and to deepen this relationship. So let's stand together now. If God called you, please right now come. Wow, this is exciting. We love whenever somebody makes a decision for Jesus Christ. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor Chuck, we're excited, we love you, and we want to know about it. And so would you click on the Next Step button in the upper right-hand corner right now? We really do care about you, and we have people available who are willing to pray with you. And they also want to share with you some steps you can take even today to begin to grow in your faith. So click on that button right now. And now we want to take our time to remember the Lord Jesus by taking communion together. The Bible says this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And later on, he took wine and he said, take, drink, all of you, this is a cup, it's the covenant in my blood. We've come to know that God made a way for our sins to be forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer as we remember him? And God, we do thank you in moments like this where we can remember what Jesus has done for us, how he's gone all the way, giving his life, and God, he's made a way for us to know you personally. And so we're grateful. We thank you, and we remember him, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. And you may begin to uh, take the bread and the juice at this time as Maureen shares some closing thoughts with you. Yeah, once again, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us on this online experience. And if something has moved you, why don't you take a moment to write it on the wall and we'll see you next week. God bless. God bless you.